0: good morning good to see you here i'm glad you could come i'm glad i could come it's great to come back to college and just see you young faces it does something for an older guy like me kind of put new life in my in me and a new spring in my step i was joking with the kids i have four springs in my heart you think i'd have a greater spring in my step amen I have four stints, and I'm not looking forward to any more. I may have to have more before it's over, but we'll leave that in the Lord's hands. By the way, I never thought I'm seeing my oldest and first grandchild in college. Whew. That makes her go back a couple years. I remember when I started here back in 2000, she was just being born, and now here she is in college. Brother Dave, does that make you feel old? <laughs> I don't feel old, folks. I feel young, honestly. You know, um, when I was a kid, I was born and raised in the hollers of West Virginia, out in the country, out in the boondocks. I took my son-in-law, I don't know, I think uh, Samantha was in that ride, but she forgets about out where I lived. Uh, I used to walk two miles to catch the bus to get to school, not to school, I walked two miles just to catch a bus to ride to school. And of course, two miles back. And some, some guys would joke and say, well, I used to have to walk to school uphill both ways. And I said. I did, I had to go across a huge, hill. you would call it a mountain, we called it a hill, but you had to walk up one side in the morning, you had to walk up the other side in the evening, so I had to walk up hill both ways to get home. <laughs> but you know, I lived out in the country, my dad was a coal miner, and he was a farmer, but he was a guy of, uh, who um, meant what he said, so when he gave you something to do, uh, he expected you to have it done, so when he went to work, and he left us at home, and he left us with a chore of hoeing in the garden, or Uh, cutting the weeds or grass or whatever the the responsibility was, when he came home, he expected you to have the job done. Well, we lived up in this holler, we were at the head of this particular holler and you had to come up a hill to get to us and down the other side, there was an old wooden bridge there and you could hear him when he would come, he'd hit that bridge and then he would speed the car up to get up the hill. And it's funny how you could tell it was his car. Now, I'm gonna tell you, if if Dad gave you something to do, and you didn't have it done, you didn't want to hear that car coming because you knew what the consequences were gonna be. And he didn't mince words and he didn't mess around. He applied the board of education to the seat of knowledge. Now, I've had that a few times, only he didn't use a board all the time. I remember one thrashing I got was with a miner's belt. That was not good. I did the St. Fitus dance. I mean, I was yelling, screaming, jumping, (laughs) and crying like crazy for him to quit. But I learned something. You better do what you're told, or there are consequences. Turn to the book of 2 Peter. I'm going to look with you this morning at a very important passage. As the apostle closes out his second letter here, writing to the same audience, I believe, that he wrote the first one to, and uh, what you're doing here, the journey you're on with the Christ life and and living Christ and and so forth, the emphasis on revival and so forth, folks. Let me tell you, Peter is taking this, us to the ultimate end of this. And we see that in this passage. I want you to look at verse 11. We'll read verse 11 through verse 18. Peter concludes this letter by saying, "'Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved?' And the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to His promise, look for new heavens and new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that you may be found of Him in peace without spot and blameless, and account that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul also, according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you." as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also the other Scriptures unto their own destruction. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing and know these things before, beware, lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, jesus christ to him be glory both now and forever amen father would you bless this morning would you enable and lead in the message and father may we be able to lord just to give this truth to challenge us to encourage us to uh, give us the incentive we need to be faithful to keep on until you come where you take us home in death we thank you and praise you in jesus name amen Peter's second epistle here is written to bring to his audiences' remembrance things they already knew. You know, the problem, folks, today is not that we don't know. We know a lot, don't we? Many of us have sat in Bible uh, churches, we've listened to the Bible preach, you've sat in chapels, you know the Bible. But the question is, what are you doing with it? The tendency we have is the downward pull. We have a tendency to forget. We have a tendency to take for granted, to become lax and and uh, negligent and complacent and comfortable. And I believe today in our country, that's where a lot of churches are. That's where a lot of Christians are. They're comfortable. As long as the economy is doing well like it is, hey, everything's great. Life is good. Really? Is Is the Lord satisfied with what's going on? That's why we need revival. Amen? That's why our country needs revival. Our churches need revival. Our pastors, our evangelists, our missionaries. We need revival. And there is revival taking place here and there in the country, but not a great awakening like we were praying for and asking God for, but we're asking God to send it. Amen? And I trust He does. And we should be looking for it and expecting it. But here Peter's talking about the fact that these people knew some things, but he's bringing them to remembrance. And that's a key word in this epistle, the word remember, remember, remember. God wants you to remember some things. You know, your pastor preaches messages, and sometimes he preaches the same things, maybe in a different approach, a different passage. But you say, I've heard this before. Yes. But you know, there's some things that bears repeating over and over and over again. Amen? Because we have a tendency to forget. And God wants you to remember some things. And here in this passage, he's wanting you to remember a tremendous event that's still yet future, that's coming. As sure as you're sitting here, it's coming. The scoffers mock and they laugh and they scorn. Oh yeah, where is it? You've said this for 2,000 years. Where is he? He's coming. You can bank on that. He's coming when the time is right. When the moment comes and only the Father knows when, He'll say it's time. And you'll hear the shout. Amen? The voice of the archangel, the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first, and then those who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. I believe the theme of this third chapter right here is that very thing. You look back in verse 4. And saying, where is the promise of His coming? Where is the promise of His coming? Things have gone on and continue to go on as they were. So the question for us this morning, young people, is we know this truth. What are we doing to get ready for it? And a tendency oftentimes for people to think, well, it's down the road. It's down the road. It's got to be down the road. Look, we've been saying that for 2,000 years. It's down the road. Folks, do you realize we're getting close to the end of the road? Are you not watching and listening and observing what's going on around, not just in our own country, but in the world? I believe we're getting close. I don't know when. I can't set dates. Nobody can. But I'm here to tell you, friend, he's coming. And I believe a lot of Christians are going to be caught Off guard, not ready for it, even though they know they should be. The imminent return of our Lord Jesus Christ is a Bible truth that will come to pass, and I believe in the near future as we see what's happening around the world. But there's no doubt that the theme here that Peter is dealing with in the third chapter is this very thing. And he wraps it all together in that period known as the Day of the Lord, the Day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is initiated with the rapture, the resurrection of the church, and begins with what is known as the tribulation period. But it's not only confined that, I believe it's used also to encompass not only the tribulation period, but the millennial period all the way up to eternity with the white great white throne judgment and the conclusion of everything. And then the new heaven and new earth, which Peter brings out in this, in this text, the new heaven and new earth. So, let's look at what Peter has to say here and consider his admonition to the Christians of his day in light of the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Go back to verse 11 and 12. We see here that the believer should be more Christ-like, more Christ-like, and that's what the emphasis here is on. Being like Christ, being Christ-like, letting Christ live through you, and so on. But notice back in verse 3 to 6, the scoffers. You're always going to have them. They mock and they scorn. Verse 3, knowing this, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lust, and saying, Where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. For this, Peter says, they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. The scoffers, they're always around, they'll always be around. But notice what he said, they are willingly ignorant. This summer in our Vacation Bible School we did an adult class, as we normally do, and we did it on the theme of Uh, the uh, DVD series that uh, Genesis, uh, uh, the uh, Creation Museum put out, Answers in Genesis, on animals that defy evolution. How many of you have ever seen those DVDs? If you haven't, you need to watch them. They are fantastic. They are done by a converted evolutionist, Dr. Brown, who was an evolutionist for years and swallowed the lie of evolution. And he said they always begin with the Big Bang. I remember studying in astronomy class in undergrad when I was going to uh, business college or in college I was taking business and I took an elective, I took astronomy. And I remember the, the uh, uh, professor sitting on a stool so smug and calm and confident and he started his lectures that day with the Big Bang. Do you ever think about the Big Bang? And they want you to believe that everything started there and everything came from there. And if you believe that, I got land in Florida I'd like to sell you. <laughs> it's underwater. <laughs> that is, pardon me, that's the height of stupidity that you could believe something like that. So this man is converted. He was challenged by his students at Baylor, of all places, where he went to teach. And he wasn't saved, but there was two young men in that school that challenged him on what he was teaching and to study the Bible. And he took that challenge. To make a long story short, he got saved. And now he is an, he's adamant about preaching against evolution. But he made this statement, and I have thought of this passage when he said this on the DVD, He said, there are those evolutionists, when you point these things out to them about certain animals, like the platypus, for instance, they have no explanation for this animal, how it could evolve. There are several things, they have no answers. And when he would ask them, they said, well, we don't know. He would say, well, is it possible that maybe there was a designer who created? And he said, their response would be, we're not going there. We're not going there. We don't know. We don't have the answer, but we're not going there. They willingly, they willingly turn their back on the fact of God and that He's the Creator. They know, he said. They know. But they suppress the knowledge willingly and they cover it up because they can't explain it. They don't know They have the answer. And by the way, if you want to catch them when they mention the Big Bang and say, well, wait a minute. Uh, If I remember right in science, for every... um, what is it? just lost my thinking. For every action there is a, a what? A cause. Every action there's a cause. So what's the cause? I said, we don't know. <laughs> How would you like to bank your faith on that one and go through life with that? Aren't you thankful you have something more than that? And by the way, both live by faith. We live by faith. We accept what we know by faith in God's word. They live by faith in what they're told and taught. It's faith. There's no other way. But Peter is saying there are those scoffers and they mock and they willingly are ignorant of the past and of history and what God has done. The flood, for instance, as Peter brings it up here. They would accept evolution but deny creation. They would deny the flood and they willingly do so because they absolutely refuse to accept and believe that there's a God. Because if they do, as I heard the testimony of one dying evolutionist, a humanist, an atheist, he said, I've been an atheist all my life because, he said, if I believe there's a God, then I'm going to have to answer for my sin. And he died that way. Well, he soon found out there is a God, and he will answer for his sin, and he will be judged for it. The scoffers are always going to be there, folks. Don't let them get to you. Don't let them uh, uh, make you feel that you're inferior to them. You're not. So we see the scoffers mock. But in verses 7 to 10, we see the Scriptures speak. And look what God says in His Word beginning with verse 7. But the heavens and earth which are now by the same word are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing. That one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some men count slackness, but his long suffering to us were not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Peter says, I want you to understand something. God is not slack concerning his promise. The worlds and everything we know, my friend, is upheld. By the word of his power, we see that again in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3, kept. The idea of kept means it's treasured up, it's stored up, it's reserved, it's set apart, it's destined for, it's under the control of our creator, amen. And the Lord Jesus Christ holds it all together. You ask the, the scientist, can you explain the atom? Can you tell me how it stays together when the elements that make it up are repelling each other, Do you ever think about this? So what holds it together? They don't know. You know, you ought to, we ought to know, God holds it together. And just as He holds it together, my friend, one day, I believe what Peter is talking about, God is going to let it loose. And you're going to see what happens. He's going to melt the elements, everything that man has ever had anything to do with ever touched, is going to be absolutely, totally incinerated, annihilated, gone, and we're going to start over with a brand new heaven and a new earth where man has never sinned. Aren't you looking forward to that day? Hey, we have a lot to look forward to, don't we? What a day that's going to be that's way down the road after all of the the tribulation and the millennium, but it's coming as sure as you're sitting here this morning. But it's kept unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. This world has a destiny, the unsaved have a destiny, and it's not a good one, it's fire. Those who are lost, we end up in the lake of fire. That God is going to let the fire go, He's not going to destroy it by water again, He made that clear, He gave us the rainbow in the sky to... Uh, show us his covenant, his promise that would never happen again, but he did not say it wouldn't be destroyed. The next time it will be destroyed by fire. And one day, notice, you say, well, it's been so long. Have you not looked at verse 9? A day is, or verse, uh, you know, verse uh, 10, a day with the Lord, uh, where are we at? Verse 8, a day with the Lord is, is like what? A thousand years. And a thousand years is as. So with the Lord, how long has it been since the Lord Jesus was crucified, buried, rose again, went back to heaven? How long has it been? A couple days. So what are you worried about? To us, it's long. To God, time is not a factor. It's only been a couple days. And God will do what He's going to do when He's ready to do it when the time is right to do it. How much more time we God? got? I don't know. Nobody knows. Only God knows. But we know what the Bible says is true, do we not? And we know that it's going to come, it's going to happen. So the scriptures tell us that, and we must believe that. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise. That idea of slackness, He is not slack concerning His promise. In other words, He's not slow, He's not delaying, He's not putting it off, He's waiting. And I'll tell you what the unsaved do with why God is not, since God is not moving yet. They take His long-suffering as condoning what they're doing, or allowing what they're doing. That's not what God is doing. Notice what it says, His long-suffering is salvation. What God is doing, friend, is this, God is giving the unsaved, the lost, time and space to repent, to turn to Him and accept His Savior and receive the salvation that He's provided for even everyone, if they'll accept it by faith. And believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and he waits but my friend the day will come when God's anger which he says in Psalm 103 he will not keep it forever the day will come when he said enough is enough and it's done he did that with Canaan didn't he but how long well Israel was in Egypt for how many years just over 400 years but the day came And he made it clear to Abraham that the sin of the land of Canaan was not full yet. But the day came when he said, that's it. And when he said to the Israelites to go in, you destroy everything, every living being. You wipe them out because they've had their time. Have you ever read in Scripture that they had the knowledge of God in Canaan? There was Melchizedek, the high priest. They had a knowledge of God, but they had turned completely away from that. And they had gone down the road that our country is going down. The immoral depths that we can sink to. And that's exactly what's happening in America right now. We're on the same path every every, uh, civilization has been on. Rome went through it, America's going through it, every civilization has. They reach a peak and they start a downward slide. And it seems like the further they go, the faster it gets, doesn't it? Until finally God says, okay, that's it as far as it's going. So God is long-suffering, and He's not going to do this harshly. He's not going to do it on the spur of the moment. God has a plan. God knows what He's doing. God has given man time. He's giving them space. He's inviting them to come to receive His Son, to be saved, to accept the salvation He offers. Aren't you glad you accepted it? Some of you don't act like you're too glad. (laughs) You better be thankful you've accepted it. And you've escaped the judgment to come and the wrath to come. I believe the rapture occurs before the tribulation because Paul made it clear we don't have an appointment with wrath, the wrath. And I think God is, is talking about that wrath, day of wrath that's coming called the tribulation period. We're not going through that. Now, some are teaching the day that we are going through. I say if they want to go through, Lord, let them go through. I want to go out before it comes. Amen? <laughs> but some are teaching you they're going to go through it late. I don't believe that personally from the study of Scripture. So we see that the Scriptures does speak: the day of the Lord will come in verse ten. It will come as a thief in the night. What does that mean? Unexpectedly, going to be a lot of people caught off guard, not ready, not expecting it. And my friend, we're we'll really living our life as a believer today for Christ and allowing Christ to live through us and doing what he says being obedient and faithful waiting expectantly for what God has promised is going to happen now are we either going to experience the coming of Christ or you're going to experience death but either way you're going to end up with him amen i would rather see the coming of Christ wouldn't you wouldn't you rather go out of here alive than dead but if you go out dead you're still going to end up in heaven with the lord but what a day that's going to be. Can you imagine, have you ever wondered about what will happen when he comes and, and the believers, the church has caught out what's going to happen? Well, if you've got any imagination at all, you know. Here's a Christian pilot flying a 747 across the ocean. Well, 747 is old, isn't it? Uh, the new Airbus. He's flying the plane across the ocean. The rapture comes. Where do you think he's going? You're going to let, think the Lord's going to let him finish the flight so he can get the plane down and everybody save everybody? No, he's gone. So What happens to the plane? Christians driving down the interstate, 70 70 miles an hour, well, some driving 80. (laughs) (laughs) Driving down the interstate, the rapture occurs. Here's a Christian driving the car. He's gone. What happens to the cars? You got imagination? It's going to be chaos. It's going to be chaos. Going to be a lot of questions being answered. What happened to them people? Some are going to think this, Maybe what I was hearing is true after all. Others will respond this way, boy, I'm glad they're gone. Man, I'm, those people, a bunch of nuts, we're better off without them. Really? <laughs> Just wait. And see what comes after that. The day of the Lord. Today you don't want to be here. The elements will burn with fervent heat. The earth and the works therein will be burned up according to Revelation 21, verse 1. There will be a new heaven and new earth following the great white throne. Now in verses 11 to 12, we see the saints respond. Look at verse 11. Peter says now, and I'm skimming over this, not in detail, we don't have time, but look at verse 11. Peter says, now listen, seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved. And that's an interesting word. When we started our Greek studies, we studied the word luo. This is a derivative of luo. It means to let loose, to let go, to loose. He's going to let her go. Dissolved. What manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Now listen, the journey you're on and what you're being challenged with about life. Listen, friend, Peter is talking about this, and he's taking us to the culmination of it. When we're going to meet Christ face to face, have you been preparing for that? Have you been living in light of that truth with the expectation of it? that this is what's going to happen someday? This is real, people. This isn't a fairy tale. This is reality. This is where we're going. This is the journey we're on, and he's taking us to where the end result is, the climax. He said, seeing then, these things shall be dissolved, what manner of people ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness? In other words, how should you be living in light of this? My friends, you ought to be living for the Lord, amen? You ought to be living what we call the Christ life. Life is not about you and I trying to live the Christian life. Life is about letting Christ live His life through us. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me. And gave himself for me. How can I not live for him now? Amen? Too many Christians living for self. Enjoying the world and the good life, so to speak. And what shame they ought to experience. He said, listen. Go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Listen to the words of the Apostle Paul. Verse 14, for the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, them are all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Who are you living your life for? It's not about us, folks. It's about our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Brother Gingry, I was wanting to thank you for that song Sunday morning. I don't know about you, but I got a few tears thinking about what He's done for us and what they did to Him in the process. All because He loves you and He was willing to take it, so that you might be saved, and I might be saved, and have eternal life. You deserve it? There's not a one of us deserves that. If we got what we deserved, my friend, we'd be in hell where we deserve to get. But He loves us. Now let me ask you a question, how can we not love Him back? How can we just go through life as though it's not that big of a deal? And yet, you look around at Christians, and you're wondering, what are they thinking? This young generation, I'm thankful for this meeting we're coming to in Texas this weekend. And I'm going for one reason, I wanna see what these guys are thinking. Because I've been around a long time in fundamentalism, as your pastor has, watching what's going on, and wondering, what is going on? People are living like this isn't true. They're living life in the flesh and letting the flesh dictate rather than letting the spirit dictate and control your life. My friend, we're not here to live our life for ourselves. We're here to live our life for Christ. Only one life will soon be passed. And only what's done for Christ will last. You ever hear that? Better live by it. It'll go by quickly. Young people, I look at you, youth, exuberance, vitality, strength, exuberance. Well, maybe some of you. (laughs) Vitality, and it's encouraging. But I sit here and look at the eyes of youth, will one day be looking from the eyes I'm looking from, age. And looking back and saying how fast it has gone by. And what have I done? How have I lived? What have I done for Christ? That really amounts to much. And I trust I've done what He wanted me to do, and that's my goal and my desire in life, is to live it. But the saints are to respond to this. And Paul, Peter is saying here, seeing that these sayings shall be dissolved, what manner of people ought you to be in all holy conversation? That word conversation is life. Life that's being lived with a purpose. Life that's being lived with an expectation. And going back to 1 Peter chapter 1, did he say what did he say? His challenge to him was, Be ye holy, God says, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Holy living, what is that all about? Holiness. Holiness is simply separation. It's being set apart unto God, which you have been when you got saved. You're set apart unto God. You're holy unto Him. You're a saint. I know many of you don't look like it, but you are. You're saints. We're all saints. We are set-apart ones. We've been set-apart unto God, sanctified. We have a purpose in life. We have a purpose for which God has left us here. And God wants us to do. He gave us a commission, did He not? The last thing Jesus said, my friend, is the most important thing we're to be about. Go ye and teach all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost. And lo, I'm with you always to the end of the age. We got a responsibility, we got a purpose here. Let's don't fail in this. Amen. The only thing you're going to have when you get to heaven are those you won to Christ that are going to be there because of you and because of me. Everything else is left behind. The works will be rewarded or unrewarded for them, whatever the case might be at the judgment seat of Christ. But as far as taking anything out of this life, my friend, it's only the people you went to Jesus. Amen? So how many is going to be there and, and thanking you and looking forward to you being there and saying, hey, thank God for you. I thank God the day you came to my house and knocked on the door and told me about Jesus and led me to Christ. I thank God the day you gave me that tract in that grocery store. I took that thing home and I read it and I trusted Christ as my Savior. I thank God for the fact that you gave to missions and sent that missionary over here that told us about Jesus. Hey friend, that's always going to be important. Amen. When you get there, the saints ought to be responding, living a holy life right now in all godliness, godlikeness, living like Him, being like Him. Oh friend, listen. The coming day of God, it's urged by Peter upon his brethren. Being at once a characteristic mark of the true Christian and itself and most powerful motive of universal holiness, someone has said. Living for Christ. Secondly, we see in verse 14, let's hurry, hurry along here, the believer should be more committed, not only being more Christ like, but being more committed. Look at verse 14. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that you may be found of him in peace and without spot, and blameless, us and account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. Even as Paul confirmed as well back in Romans chapter 2 and verse 4. That's what this is about. Be diligent. Be diligent. So what does it mean to be diligent? The idea of that word is earnestness. It means to be in earnest. It means zealous, to hasten to do something, to exert oneself with. Give yourself to it. You look at people that prepare for the Olympics. They do it nonchalantly, don't they? No, my friend, they give themselves to it. And that becomes their life, their focus. And they have a reason for why they don't. They want the gold. And here we have an inheritance. We're co-heirs with Jesus Christ. We're heirs of God. Everything He has is ours and how are we live in. Are we living in light of that? Are we diligent about what He's left us here to do? Are we really giving ourselves to it and we mean it? And we're diligent about it? because that's what He's saying. Diligent. You look for such things, be diligent that you might be found in Him in peace, without spot and blemish. That's what Christ's goal for the church is. Go back to Ephesians chapter 5. Without spot and without blemish. No mar, no defect, no problem. Perfect. And that's where we're heading. And one day that's where we're going to be. And remember that God is not moving yet. He's not coming yet because He wants Not just you and I there. He wants as many as will come to be there. Amen? And there's still more to be saved yet. Hey, we live in a world of how many people? You can't imagine. Over 7 billion. We're pushing 7.5 billion people. There's no way you can wrap your brain around that number. There's no way you can even count to that number. Did you know that? You don't have a lifetime to count to that number. How many people there are? How many of them don't know the Savior yet? How many of them never even heard of Him yet? And yet, what is the church doing about it? What are you doing about it? Do you know less and less young people going into missions? Am I right, Brother Kennedy? Where are the candidates? Where are the people giving their lives to that and say, "I'm going," supported or not, "I'm going. I'm going to take the message." Where are we at in America? Would you even go to your neighbor? Or go out on soul winning or outreach in the church? A church of 150 and 8 show up for outreach. He said, don't be too hard on those people. I'm not trying to be too hard on them. But you would think there'd be a whole lot more than that showing up to go out and take the gospel to the community, wouldn't you? You know, when I first got saved, I was just dumb enough to believe God. You know, the preacher said, hey, the church is going out on soul winning on this night, so come on out. I hadn't been saved a year yet. So I thought, oh, that's what we're supposed to do. Well, honey, let's go. We go out on soul winning. This church was running about three to 500. Walked in the church that night, and I'm not exaggerating, there might have been five people there. And I was kind of blown away. I thought this is what Christians did. If I remember right, I think that's what they did in the early church, wasn't it? They went out every day, winning souls. I thought, where is everybody? It's only the grace of God, folks, I didn't quit. When I began to see older Christians, I looked up to and, and respected, but they come to find out they weren't doing what they should be doing. But God overruled that in my life, and I'm glad He did, amen? I'm glad He did. We should be more committed to what we're about and what God is saying to do, my friend. Two areas of diligence and commitment are mentioned in 1 Peter 1.19. Let's go back to 1.19. 1 Peter 1.19, I believe it is, yes. 1 Peter 1 Peter 1.19. He says, but with the precious blood of Christ and as of a lamb without spot and without blemish. Look at that. Here's the blood that was shed. He gave his life. That'll be incentive enough, amen? But God gives you far more incentive. He's coming. He's going to take you home to live with him. You're going to have everything he has. You're an heir to it. But my friend, what is it going to take to wake us up? and really be diligent for the Lord in this matter. Well, very quickly, look at the fact that believers should be more cautious, however, as well. Look at 1 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 17. The third one, third time he brings this up. And by the way, he mentions that word know, doesn't he? These some things we know, we need to be acting on what we know and living according to what we know. And he says, You therefore, beloved, seeing you know these things, Before, beware, lest being led away with the error of the wicked, you fall from your own steadfastness. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever. As Peter ends this epistle, he says, Beloved, seeing you know these things, you know what I'm telling you. You already know this. I've already taught you this. So knowing these things, beware. Lest you be led astray, led away with the error of the wicked, and fall from your own steadfastness. My friend, it's appalling what we're watching going on. That's one of the reasons for this meeting this weekend, what young fundamentalists are doing. Compromising. Acting as if the way they're living is not important, and that old guys are just a bunch of old folkies. You're too strict, you're too hard, you expect too much. And we ought to be able to live life the way we want to. So we ought to be able to dress the way we want to. We ought to be able to drink if we want to. We ought to be able to do this, that, and the other if we want to. And you oughtn't to be saying anything about it. You have no right to condemn us. Well, I'm not condemning anybody, are you? But I am going to point out some scriptures that deals with that subject. Be holy. Be different. Be set apart. So that you can be the light and the salt God intends for you to be in a dark, dismal, dying world. And a lot of Christians have lost their light. It's pretty dim. But thank God for a place like this. Amen? That's why it's refreshing to come here reminds me of my early days when I first got into fundamentalism in the school I went to years ago, so I'm kind of refreshed, amen, Brother Gingery, kind of refreshing, isn't it? These guys know what I'm talking about, Brother Himes, we're watching the landscape, what's happening, and you just shake your head, and you say, "Fellows, wake up, wake up, quit going that way, quit listening to the wrong voices. Because many of us remember when new, new Evangelicalism came on the scene. Right? This is just a repeat of what they were doing back in those mm-hmm. days and leading people into a worldly Christianity. And that, my friend, is what not, God, not what God intended. We're to live in all godliness for our Savior Jesus Christ and walk as He walked, like He walked, act as He acted, talk as He talked, and show the world who Jesus is, and not by being like them, but being different from them. Father, help us today. Lord, we would like to spend more time in this passage, and it warrants that, of course, Lord, help us to understand what we know we need to be acting upon and living according. But Lord, we need to be diligent about it. We know these things. And God, forgive us where we become complacent about some of these, even sometimes negligent about what we're to be doing and how we're living and how we're fulfilling the Great Commission. So Lord, bless these students. Challenge their hearts. May they go out here with a new and renewed determination and commitment to Jesus Christ. We're not here to live for self, but unto Him who died for us and rose again. And that's our Savior. And we love Him. And Lord, we look forward to the day we're going to see Him. So help us to be preparing for that and living in light of that truth. In all holiness and godliness. And Lord, to continue to stand and not being swayed and led astray by the error of others. But being faithful and true and obedient to your word and led and empowered and enabled by Your Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.